to Nobody Told Me. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. If you've ever found it difficult to set healthy limits in your personal and professional relationships, we have some valuable information ahead for you. On this episode, we'll find out why some of us have trouble setting boundaries and how we can change. Joining us is psychotherapist and relationship expert, Terry Cole, who says the most successful and satisfied people on the planet have one thing in common, the ability to create and communicate clear, healthy boundaries. Terry's latest book is called Boundary Boss, the essential guide to talk true, be seen, and finally live free. Terry, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me, ladies. You write that every client who walks through your door has a different problem, whether it's a cheating spouse or an overbearing boss or nightmare family dynamics and so on. Yet at the heart of every single client's distress is the same problem, a lack of healthy boundaries. I found that to be such a powerful statement. Tell us more about that. Well, it's so true. And what's so interesting about why we don't know um, is that we're really taught, right? Most of us are taught to be good girls, right? We're raised and praised for being self-abandoning codependence. So we do more work, we overfunction, we overgive, and as long as everyone else has what they need and is happy, then we feel like we're okay. And that is having disordered boundaries. And there's lots of ways disordered boundaries can be expressed, not just too porous, which is what that is, right? Too malleable. You can also have boundaries that are too rigid, but the, the, the flow through of what people had is that nobody talked about boundaries. Nobody taught anyone about boundaries and the way most of us were socialized was the opposite of having boundaries. It was teaching us to be totally codependent. I didn't even realize that the auto yes is something related to boundaries. And I'm so guilty of that or the auto. Yeah, doing fine. How are you? And you kind of like, I wish I could say more. How does that auto yes hurt us? Well, part of it is if it's an automatic response, it can't be accurate all the time, right? If, if it's a knee-jerk reaction, it's not a thoughtful response. So again, you know, if you were raised to be nice, right? We, we want to be nice. But the way that I was raised, that was like the highest virtue possible was people thinking that you were nice. So then I associated saying no with not being nice. So many of us, it's just, we're just habituated to immediately say yes. So the way that I teach how you can sort of step back from that because it's not great for you, obviously, is instead of giving any instant answer, like just do a seven day experiment that no matter what anyone asks you for seven days, you will not give an immediate answer. You will start teaching the people in your life that they can wait, right? You can say, oh, hey, I need to check my calendar. I need to check with my spouse. I need to check with whatever um, to see if I'm free. I'll get back to you tomorrow. You could say, hey, I have a 24-hour decision-making policy. I'll let you know tomorrow, right? You, there's many ways that we can not give an auto yes. But the point of doing that is it's so much easier to come back and say no if you haven't already said yes to a bunch of crap you don't want to do. But aren't the people that we're holding off on the yes or, or saying a flat-out no to, aren't they going to maybe give us a little bit of blowback because they're not used to us responding this way? Maybe. And you know what? You're not that fragile, right? Jan, Laura, neither one of you and nobody listening. We're not that fragile. We just want to avoid conflict at all costs, but you can't have good boundaries 
and literally never have any conflict. It's impossible. So will there be blowback? Perhaps. But here's the thing. We can stay lovingly connected to those people if they're important to us, even if they feel uncomfortable with us asserting our truth, right? Talking true is what the subtitle of the book is. You know, if if they're uncomfortable, we might be uncomfortable too for a moment. And then the moment passes and you have a choice. Do I self-abandon because I really don't want to do that thing because I really don't have time or because I will be not sleeping enough if I say yes to that thing. So self-abandon is one choice or people please. Mm. And when you're people pleasing, let's really think about, is are you being authentic? When you say yes, when you really want to say no, it's really not being nice. It's really being dishonest. It is. And we're misleading the people in our lives, even if we're not doing it with malice intent, but we're misleading them. And what ends up happening is I will have women come into my therapy practice in their sixth or seventh decade of life, and they have everything. Nice spouse, kids are successful, money's fine, everyone's good. But they're like, "Uh, hi, is this how I'm supposed to feel? Because I feel very empty. And I'm like, yeah, that's a life of checking boxes where nobody actually knows your preferences, your desires, your limits, or your deal breakers. Because according to me, those are the things that make up your boundaries. And they also make up who you are. I get concerned though, when I think about how I really enjoy spending time with my friends, but if I tell them no two or three times, like what if they stop inviting me to things and, and it makes it so that I don't get to be honest and, and real with myself and, and hang out with them when I want to, because I'm not invited. Right. But let's, let's look at that dynamic. What, how close friends are they? If, because you said no twice, they stop inviting you. That is quality of friendship. That is not great. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. And you can also assert yourself, Laura, right? You, you can call your friend and say, hey, I know I was busy those last two Saturdays, but I heard you guys are going out. I want to come. And if there's an uncomfortable dynamic, if they say, well, you know, you screwed up our plans or something, or we made a reservation for four people and you not being there. Made really, it three. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or, you know, like that, that kind of a situation to me, like the thought of that conversation with a friend makes me so uncomfortable that it it is more comfortable to say yes. Indeed. But that will be temporary. Becoming a boundary boss, and I walk you through it in the book every single step of the way, means you realize that you're not that fragile. It's okay to be a little uncomfortable. You can stay lovingly attached. You can tell the truth. But think about when we don't do that, what are we saying about our relationships? right? You have a friend who's that punitive, who's like, you know what? The reservation was three and not four. And now I'm mad. Like, <laughs> hello, that tells me that person needs some therapy. Like, <laughs> That's pretty mean. Right? So true. <laughs> Why is the ability to set boundaries the biggest game changer when it comes to creating a healthy, happy, self-determined life? Well, you can't have a healthy, healthy, happy, self-determined life if you are people-pleasing. If you are, if you have the disease to please and that's the way you're living your life, if you're highly codependent, you're over-functioning in your relationships, over-giving, right? This is your way of um, relating. 
that is that will, you will run out of steam, right? There's no way that we can people please for an entire lifetime and not become angry. Instead of taking a lot of times, though, instead of taking responsibility, we start projecting it like, oh, Betty is so selfish. It's about Betty. She's so entitled, even though it's really us offering or not having the ability to say no, but we become resentful. And what does that do for your life? Because think about your stories about people saying that their mother or their grandmother is such a martyr. Well, you don't think that those women when they were 25 were like, wow, I can't wait to become a martyr. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. That was nobody's goal. <laughs> uh-huh. it, but it happens if decades of self-abandonment. And, and here's the thing, what I hear in both of your questions is that there's a fear, the myths around boundaries, or that if you set boundaries, you have to do it aggressively. Or it's like you saying no, no, no to everyone and rejecting all the people and being like fierce. Right. People will say, oh, yeah, that person's a boundary boss. It's their way or the highway. And I'm like, no, <laughs> that's not a boundary boss. That's someone who has disordered boundaries in the other direction, which are too rigid. Being a boundary boss means that you don't abandon yourself to momentarily not feel uncomfortable with a friend. You can say, hey, you can start every boundary conversation by saying, oh my God, I so appreciate you always thinking of me and inviting me. And it turns out we can't do it on that night, but I keep thinking of me because hopefully next week or maybe we can have lunch. Like saying no does not mean being mean or caustic. It is completely unnecessary, but there's a fear that it will be perceived that way. Right? Right. Right. Of course. I mean, I had, I had a couple of friends who, you know, I got COVID and once I once I tested negative for it, like they, they didn't really say much. And we haven't had contact about making plans. Like, I don't know if they're afraid because I had COVID, even though I'm negative now, or if I just went off the radar, but again, you know, that's like, that's a fear that I have that may, you know, I may be projecting on them. It may not be real. Yeah. Fear of going off the radar. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Not being relevant, I guess. Yeah. Right. But here's the thing. Wow. There's a solution right now to that. When we're done with this, call them. Yeah. Hi. No, that's true. I haven't heard from you guys. Are you worried that you're going to get cooties from me? I am not contagious anymore, people. Be right. funny, <laughs> be cute, tongue in cheek, and just say, hey, I miss you guys, right? That we must be the ones who negotiate for our own needs. And you can always do it lovingly if it's appropriate or with a little more heat if it's that's appropriate. You always have the choice. But if we choose to just write a script about what might be happening for those friends, right? It's always our fear mind, our ego mind, that's going to write like the worst script imaginable. And it's so stressful to think, oh, is that what's happening? Is that what they think? When you really can just say, hey, we haven't talked. P.S. I'm negative now and I won't give you cooties, I swear. You know what I mean? Like there's a way to confront it and not wait for them to be in touch with you and not make a whole narrative about why they're not in touch with you. Yeah, totally. We always make the worst narrative. I love that you said that. Yeah. I love also that you have your boundary boss bill of rights at the beginning of the book. And I, you don't have to explain all of them if you don't want to, but what are some of those things in your boundary boss bill of rights that we need to keep in mind? Well, I can quickly go through them and here's the thing. Sure. I put it at the right at the front of the book because there is so much confusion about what 
our rights are. I can't tell you how many clients would say, I don't know, am I being unreasonable? Is am I I'm like, okay, I'm gonna write a boundary boss bill of rights <laughs> so that we're all on the same page when we start this journey. So the first one is you have the right to say no or yes to others without feeling guilty, which is what we were just talking about. And so many women in particular feel guilty when we don't acquiesce to what other people want. You have a right to make mistakes, to course correct, or to change your mind. Does that one hit either one of you? Um, <laughs> Maybe. Yes. <laughs> I was the worst of like, my word was my bond. Oh God, staying in relationships like long past their expiration date because Amen. I, you know what I mean? Like I was yeah. in it and thought that I should. Um, you have the right to negotiate for your preferences, desires, and needs. And I should say rights and obligation if you want to get your needs met, Right. Um, you have a right to express and honor all of your feelings if you so choose, which also means you're not required mm. to share all of your feelings, right? It's, it's your choice, but you do have the right to express them. You have a right to voice your opinion, even if others disagree. And that can be really hard. And we've, we've been in such a polarized time for the last two years politically, COVID, masking, not all, all the things that this is one that a lot of people have been talking to me about out on the interwebs, that it's so hard to say their opinion if it's different from the group that they're in. All right. You have a right to be treated with respect, consideration, and care. Now that starts with you treating yourself with respect, consideration, and care. Because really, when you think about it, our relationship to ourselves is the one that sets the bar for every other relationship in our life. So if we overwork, if we treat ourselves like crap, if we talk badly about ourselves, we will inevitably attract people who agree with that low self-assessment. Mm. So it's really important that you take care of yourself and that you figure out the self-love and self-care piece, because there's this place that only self-love can fill, no amount of other love can do it, you know? All right, moving on. You have a right to determine who has the privilege of being in your life. So in the book, I talk all about your VIP section, that it should be filled with people who fill up your bucket and you fill up their bucket. And it's okay if your third cousin twice removed is not in the VIP section of your life. Uh -huh. But most people don't realize that, you know, you're basically the only bouncer for that VIP <laughs> section. You make That's the guest so list, true. you put up the rope, or you leave the door wide open for anyone to just wander in. You know, we got to protect our time and our energy. You have the right to communicate your boundaries, your limits, and your deal breakers. And again, deal breakers are like your non-negotiables, let's say, in a relationship. And I find so much of the time, women in particular would come to me and say, well, I, I, was, I told my partner that I felt how I felt about this. And they said, that's ridiculous. Like, wow, you have no reason to feel that way. That is a boundary violation, like an emotional boundary violation, because who can tell you how you, that how you feel is wrong? You know what I mean? Right, right. So we don't even get into it. We just go, oh, hey, I actually have a right to how I feel. And I'm sharing with you how I feel, not asking for your opinion on my feelings. And going off of that, I'm curious to know that about the impact that a narcissistic partner or parent can have on us in terms of them maybe making us feel like what we say or what we do is not worthy and what they say is the gospel. Mm. 
That is such a good question. And it's such a good question that I dedicated an entire chapter in the book to these personality types. And I called it boundary destroyers because all of the boundary things I teach you throughout this book, how to make a proactive boundary success plan, understanding your own downloaded boundary blueprint, all of that stuff won't help you when you're dealing with these human beings who have PhDs in emotional manipulation. Yeah, I like that. Right? That's what a narcissist has. And so what I teach you in the book is a whole bunch of the most common emotional manipulation tactics that narcissists and the like use so that you can be aware. Because, hey, if you're not a narcissist, it wouldn't enter your mind that people could be this devious, but they are. Right. You, you're right. like, well, who yeah. does that? Oh my God. We have talked about that so many times. <laughs> yeah. My mom and I have it. Like, right. It wouldn't occur to you to act this way. So right. you don't get it. Right. And it almost feels like it's impossible. And it's kind of sad to have to have that chapter in my book, but it prepares you. So if you have a narcissist who's gaslighting you, denying your reality, whatever the situation is, most of the time, if they're really a diagnosable narcissist, your, your best bet is to distance yourself from them, honestly. Because if someone really has narcissistic personality disorder, I will say the likelihood of them having insight into themselves is very small. And so it'll always be you, right? These are people that you you tell them something is wrong or your feelings are hurt about something. And somehow before you know it, that interaction turns around and you're like, oh my God, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. How can you tell if somebody actually has narcissistic personality disorder or if it's just like a little personality trait that they're, yeah, yeah, that they're showing? Well, the one real telltale sign is there's no ability for actual empathy and compassion. So it's someone who can be super cold um, because there's lots of personality disorders, but this is something that sets narcissists apart. So they don't feel the pain that they're causing you. So they don't care about the pain that they're causing you. It's, it's really, really scary. It's so painful to be in a relationship. Now, as I say in the book, and I'll say it here too, listen, it's not for us to be like armchair psychiatrists and be diagnosing people. But if people were interested to see what are the symptoms, just go to the DSM-5 online. It's the diagnostic manual that doctors use and look up narcissistic personality disorder. And there's more than one, but it'll tell you the symptoms so that you can look and sort of get a better idea. But it's not just the narcissistic uh, personality disorder that we know where they're braggy and they're inflating, you know, this inflated sense of self and everything has to be the best. And not just that, because then you have covert narcissists who do not present that way at all. Malignant narcissists who are like the absolute worst, who are so scary that all they want to do is destroy you. I mean, this it's a real serious mental health disorder, you know, and it's scary, but if you can see the telltale signs and if anyone listening is like, Oh my God, I think I am getting involved with someone like that. I would say hightail it out of there. Wow. Wow. What are some of the questions that we should ask ourselves in trying to determine what kind of a boundary style we have? I know you say that that's very important for us to try to determine. All right. Two things. Well, first of all, listeners can go to boundaryquiz.com just called boundaryquiz.com. And you'll, you can take a 13 uh, question quiz that I created for free and it'll tell you your archetype, which will be helpful. But knowing your style is seeing where are you um, resentful? 
in your life. So look at, like, do you do a resentment inventory? That'll tell you what relationships you're having boundary issues with. Then go into that relationship. You can journal about it. So what is it? Is it that that person doesn't keep their word? That's a boundary issue. Is it that you're over-functioning in that relationship? So therefore they are under-functioning? That's a boundary issue. So the way that you can really determine is check your resentment because that will lead you to places where you need to see what's going on in that relationship. What about having resentment towards an ex-partner who maybe deserves our resentment, but it's getting in the way of us moving forward in our lives? Yeah. I mean, the thing with resentment, it's like, it it's really when we write about it and give it up, basically, we're really just letting ourselves out of resentment prison. So it doesn't mean that anytime you're resentful, that that's wrong, right? Because people do messed up things, but there's still better things, healthier things that you can do for yourself. Write a letter to that person completely unedited. Do not send it or send it depending on how you feel, right? If you didn't get a chance to say what you wanted to say, it's really important that you mourn the dream that you had for that relationship because so much of the time, it's not necessarily the relationship itself that we're so sad to see go. It's really the hopes we had of what it could have become. Does that make sense? Oh, perfectly. Makes, yeah. We were just perfectly. nodding to each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Well, tell us more about, because I know your book is, is filled with steps. And like you say in the book that you take us by the hand and walk us through all of this. With the but, three R's. Right. But, but tell us more about that, about those kinds of steps that we can do on our own. And, and I love the fact that you talk about journaling or, or writing a letter, but what are some of the other things we can do? I think that the most um, straightforward thing to do is there's four steps to simply communicate a boundary. So we start with step one, which is getting clear about what boundary is needed and with whom, right? And you do that by looking at your resentment. You're like, oh, I'm still mad that my friend bailed on the vacation we were supposed to take together or whatever. So you get clear about what is it that you need to say. Um, Second, you pre-plan. If you know that your friend is not a morning person, you would not call them at 7 a.m. to have this conversation, right? If you would rather do it in person, you think about what is the best time um, to talk to this person because you know the players in your life. You, you know, most of the time when we're, we're being proactive with something, we pretty much know how they're going to respond, or at least we've had experiences in the past. The third step, and this might sound weird to people, but it's really important is that you write a boundary script. And in the book, a whole chapter is simply scripts for every scenario you could possibly find yourself in from leaving a cult to, and I'm not kidding, uh, and then bumping into those people from the cult. I mean, I've covered all the angles in there. But when you have a script, the first thing you don't want to do is you don't want to say to anybody, we have to talk, you know? Because nobody ever wants to talk when you're like, we need to have a talk. It just right. is so worse. It's worst. It makes me nervous the whole time until we have the talk. <laughs> so my feeling is we're, we're going to be casual about it, but you will be prepared because you're going to create a script using concise language, right? Depending on the situation, what is your goal to invo- inform the other person of maybe one of your preferences, desire, limits, or deal breakers, right? Um, and you want to stick to your own side of the street. 
right? We're not, when we're um, using concise language, we're not saying you, 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 and you did this and you did that, because again, nobody wants to, nobody receives that well, you know, we're talking about ourselves and you don't have to have the perfect words, right? You could do it sweating. You could do it badly. You could do it. You could do it crying, right? I mean, it, it may happen in the beginning, especially if you haven't express yourself in this way. So when you get a script together, so let's say you figure out um, an approach, a really easy thing to say is I'd like to make a simple request that you let me know if you're going to be more than 15 minutes late so we don't ruin our evening, right? If if you have someone who's perpetually late or I wanted to bring this to your attention, um, I wanted you to be aware of how I feel about whatever it is. And I would appreciate in the future if. So there's all kinds of... um, sentence starters and and really easy scripts that you can make your own, right? Because what I would say would be different than what you would say. I would use humor a lot. Maybe other people wouldn't. But once you have that script, then you're going to practice it. And that's the part that I think sounds weird. But you have to get the words in your body, especially if you're someone who this feels very threatening to. You can say it to a friend, say it to yourself. And then the fourth step is to visualize and execute. Because a lot of people can't even visualize the conversation, can't even visualize the boundary dance changing. And we have to be able to, in order to actually make it happen. So we go through and visualize the conversation going well. And when I say going well, I don't mean that the other person acquiesces to what you want necessarily. I mean that you stood in your truth, and tried to get a need met or wanted the person to know how you felt about something because the healing, your healing is in that process. It really isn't about what the other person does, right? You, what the other person does will be data to make informed decisions about how much they're capable of or what they're willing to do in your relationship. But that isn't the point. So it isn't like a failed attempt. If you tell someone how you feel and they go, well, I don't care. I think you're selfish now you still will get something, especially self-esteem and self-confidence from just saying it, from just telling the truth, from just not being a silent sufferer. So that is the fourth step, is just visualize and execute. The book has really made me rethink a lot of my life and the people in it. And gosh, I just think it's wonderful. And I'm wondering if you can tell us What's your nobody told me lesson? So what is it that nobody told you about boundaries that you wish you knew when you were younger, like a a teenager that could have saved you from having to learn all this the hard way and and having to learn it from everybody else's experience? Uh, Nobody told me that I needed boundaries and that I was responsible for what I experienced in my own life. But nobody told me that I had the right to create boundaries or make a simple request. I just learned to people please. And that was a couple of decades of my life, which was a long time to live that way. So that's what nobody told me. And Terry, how do you think parents can better help their children set boundaries? Well, modeled behavior is probably the most important thing. So try not to be a boundary disaster yourself. Let them see you healthily asserting yourself, standing up for how you feel, talking about yourself, not blaming the other person. And you can teach them 
it's go to draw the boundary, go to the teacher and tell them you had this experience and I'll support you in doing that. Another major thing with kids and boundaries is there's a lot of parenting nowadays, and my kids are fully grown and have kids of their own at this point, but I know from people writing into me that there's this a huge amount of over-involvement with kids and like sort of infantilizing them around things. And that is a disordered boundary where I feel like part of the job with parents is to teach kids to let them fail. I don't mean fail dangerously, but fail. This is how we learn. And what did you learn from that? Or what do you think you should do instead of immediately going into fix it mode? Because we're really doing a disservice to those kids because you're not growing the skills that you need to be a successful adult if your parents don't stop parenting in that way. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally does. How can people connect with you on social media and how can they learn about the book? Great. You can go to boundarybossbook.com and that has where you can get the book and it has all kinds of beautiful bonuses. And I think the boundary quiz link is on there too. So if you want to take the quiz and see which of the seven archetypes you are, that's just boundaryquiz.com. But I think it's on the book one as well. And um, you can follow me on Instagram or hang out. That's where I hang out the most is really Instagram. And I'm just Terry Cole or go to my website, terrycole.com. And that's Terry, T-E-R-R-I. Yep. C-O-L-E. And I also have a (laughs) podcast for the last six years, the Terry Cole show. So people can go there as well. Which is fabulous. (laughs) Terry, we thank you so much. I think we've just barely opened the door to this topic and I know it it deserves so much, so much more conversation, but. And we'd love to have you on in the future to discuss more. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We really appreciate your thoughts. Thank you so much for having me, Jen and Laura. It was a ball. Our thanks again to Terry Cowell, whose latest book is called Boundary Boss, The Essential Guide to Talk True, Be Seen, and Finally Live Free. And again, her website is terrycole.com. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thank you so much for joining us. 